Hi, Elliot. It's Steph and Max. Hi, Dad. We wanted to congratulate you, Jeff and Amal, on 300 <laughs> episodes of your podcast, or what I'd like to call the 300 times you've been able to use the excuse, I can't, I have to record my podcast. And Elliot, let's face it, you've used that excuse to get out of family gatherings or dinners with my crazy friends, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. All joking aside, I see how much time, effort, and pride you put into your work. Elliot, you pull all-nighters when you're writing the 32 Thoughts blog, and when you get a hot tip, even if it's at 1 a.m., the three of you are back on your microphones making the necessary changes to the podcast so you can put on the best and most accurate content possible for your audience. The three of you make a really great team. So congratulations, and here's to 300 more episodes. Congratulations, Sad. I love you. Oh, buddy, that's amazing. Wow. Jeffrey, just wanted to say a huge congrats on 300 episodes of the podcast. We know how hard you, Elliot, and Emma work. 300 is a fantastic accomplishment. And after keeping TJ, Brody, and JoJo quiet for most of those recordings, I thought it was time they finally got a word in. Congrats, Dad, on 300 episodes. Great job, Dad, on reaching 300 episodes. Great job, Dad. (laughs) Wow. Oh, Emil. Jojo's the best. Oh, you're making an old guy cry. Uh. We should (laughs) tell a story here. It's my job not to be at a loss for words, but Elliot, I'm at a loss for words. That was real nice. So um, that's your wife, Steph, uh, your son, Max, my wife, Claire, uh, our three kids, TJ, Brody. Yes, I have two kids named TJ and Brody Mm -hmm. uh, and Jojo as well. that's spectacular. First of all, we should say though that TJ Brody was into his NHL career before your kids were. Oh no, they were, he, this, my two kids were not named after. Okay, okay. I just figured <laughs> we should. Defenseman. <laughs> we should say that when he was in Calgary or Toronto, that didn't happen. <laughs> no, it didn't happen when he was with the uh, the OHL. Although when he, um, it's, it was funny too when he when TJ Brody started playing. Uh, with the Calgary Flames when he started his pro career, uh, you know, be up. My wife's an artist, and so she'd be uh, drawing, and I'd be watching, you know, a Calgary Vancouver game or Calgary against whomever. And whenever uh, anyone on the broadcast mentioned TJ Brody, then I would just hear like snickering off into the corner uh, from Clara as she recognized that her two kids or our two kids uh, are named after an NHL defenseman. And well, that was very cool. Thank you very, very nice much for of you, that. Amal. That's, uh, that made my day. And one thing I am very envious of, Elliot, and that is your wife has an amazing broadcast voice. Like better <laughs> than mine, certainly better than yours. No question about it. You know who should be doing this podcast? Steph <laughs> should be doing this podcast. Well, first of all, same Amal. That's very nice of you that you did that. I don't like to bring Max out publicly, and I very rarely do it with Steph because... You know, I, I like to keep my family behind the scenes, but this was very nice of you, Amal, and very nice of them to do. You know, it's funny, Jeff, like we've talked about this. Uh, one of our podcast ideas was you interview Steph and I interview Claire. Yeah. And we do a podcast about what it's like to be married to uh, me and you. And, you know, Steph eventually agreed to do it. Claire is very reserved about it, so I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. 
but it was nice to hear them on the podcast. Although I have not given up hope that someday <laughs> we will get to do that because I will bet that that will be the most downloaded podcast we ever do. It would just be Claire saying, she'd say, Jeff, yeah, he's born to be mild. It's a very, very boring life I lead, Elliot. Trust me. I watch hockey games and then I talk about them and I drive kids to hockey and I do a rink in the winter. 300 ain't no joke, guys. 300 is a lot of episodes. 300 episodes is a lot, considering I thought this would last a cozy season. And then at least I'd run out of stuff to say. And many people who listen to this podcast would say like, yeah, Merrick, you run out of stuff to say back in season one. But Elliot, are you thought out yet uh, now that you're back from Hamilton? I had a hot shower. Mm. I made myself a hot tea. I'm ready to go. All right, then, let's begin with the Heritage Classic. Uh, the game itself, 5-2 Buffalo, but so much revolving around the game uh, that we should get to as well. But, you know, on your drive home, okay, going down the QEW, what were you thinking about as you left Hamilton? I was thinking about uh, another uh, meltdown for Toronto, uh, especially in the third period. I was thinking about the Matthews cross-check and what the result would be from that. I was thinking about how... In two weeks, we're all thinking of Buffalo very differently than we were before. It's that quick. It's kind of changed around them. I was thinking about just it was a great weekend. It was a lot of fun, and Ontario is opening up again. And it was the right event at the right time. And you could tell that there were people in the crowd there who loved the opportunity to get together in a sporting event with 26,000 people outside and just have fun trying to have fun at a sporting event. And we've missed that for too long. That made it even better, I think, at least for me. I was there on Saturday for Hockey Night. It was frigid, but you can tell that still there was a charge about there being an outdoor game in Hamilton. And that's the thing about a lot of these. The local crowd uh, loves it, digs it right into it. It's fun. You know, I thought it was really interesting at the, the beginning of the broadcast Kelly Rudy today talked about how as a ex NHLer, even though he did participate in one, you know, now infamous outdoor game, he's, and I think the, the words he used were, I kind of feel cheated that I was never part of one of these things as an athlete. And I always wonder about this as a, as a hockey player, you have a number of boxes to check, whether it's uh, scoring your first goal, playing in your first game, getting your first shutout, getting in your first fight, getting your you know first star, whatever it is, first all-star dot, all these different things, different boxes that you check. I'm beginning to think over the last few seasons that more and more, this has become a box on every hockey player's checklist. That at the end of the career, you want to make sure you did a lot of firsts and you did a lot of things. And I'm guessing outdoor games now for a lot of these guys is one of those things. Yes, I, I think that's true. And I hope every market gets one too, because they are fun. They're fun to go to. They're for, you know, people say, oh, it's not the same deal on television anymore. That's fine. But I think it's a great time for the people who go. And that's what it's about. Absolutely. But Jeff, that's not what anybody's going to be talking about coming out of here. Oh, no. There's a few things they'll be talking about. They'll be talking, well, Leafs fans will be talking about goaltenders. They'll be talking about a collapse. They'll be talking about a cross check. Buffalo Sabres fans will be talking about the Krebs, Hinnestroza, Cousins line, and they'll be talking about Rasmus Dahlin and Craig Anderson picking up win number 301. Nice interview with Cal Bacoskis after the game as well. Do you want to do Buffalo side of things, which is the happy story, or Toronto, which is the negative cloudy story? You got to start with Toronto. All right. And, and there's two things here. First of all, there's Matthews, and he's getting a hearing. 
by giving him a hearing, you can up the fine. Okay. And I'm interested to see if this becomes a max fine or there's any chance that this is a one game suspension. The thing about the Matthews cross check that said to me immediately that he was in trouble was that it wasn't one of those situations that it, he hit someone on the shoulder and it rose up to the head or the neck. He made direct contact with the head or the neck. And I've know from my history of dealing with this, that is a factor. Is it something that rides up or does it make direct contact? And the answer is B. The moment it happened and the moment I saw the replays, I thought there was a possibility of a suspension here, at least a hearing. I don't know that he will get suspended. I think it's possible. It's a fine, but we'll see how this all goes. Uh, you know, Matthews, they're losing in incredibly frustrating ways for those players. You know, they won't admit it publicly, but they think they should be getting saves. They're not. And plus also, Matthews was just, pissed off after the last game, the game on Thursday night where he thought there should have been a penalty called in overtime. Yeah. So his frustration level is rising as much as the rest of the teams is rising, but it's probably even more because he doesn't think he gets any calls against him. And, you know, in that situation there, he's exchanging cross checks with Dalene and, you know, he usually keeps his cool, but this time he lost it. So I think there's the way of looking at it, which is, He's in danger of getting suspended here, but I think it's also a sign in his particular case that it's very rare the frustration gets to him. It's getting to him. Uh, it's getting to him. And as you mentioned, the goaltending is getting to everybody on this team right now. You know, the cutaway shots, you know, we've seen cutaways to people like Wayne Simmons, and it tells a story. Cutaways to Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan on Sunday they tell a story as well. There's no way around it. Toronto has a serious goaltending issue, and it was so Toronto. Uh, there was one sequence where Peter Mrazek made a great glove save on Casey Middlestad, only to cough one up in not-so-great fashion right away. You talked to Dubas on Saturday yep. and, and asked about the goaltending situation. A week ago, you were here for an introductory media conference and you were asked about goaltending and yep. said that is not our priority. Right. Has it changed with what's happened since then? Well, I think the reality is that um, you know, we still, I mean, obviously we've had an injury uh, in the meantime to Jack Campbell and, uh, and with regards to Peter, he didn't have a good night on Thursday night, but he's played nearly 300 games in the NHL and been a 9-10 goaltender over 300 games. It's not as though he's played a year or two and now he's struggling for the first time. He's a veteran guy that's been able to overcome this in the past and uh, we believe that he will and then we'll get Jack back and healthy. At the same time, I think our, our fans and, and everybody saw the other night that uh, you know Eric Shelgren can come in and, and, and play as well. And Joe Wall has already played this year and played well for us. So we feel we have four guys that can all come in and, and play. Jack and Peter are obviously the two proven NHL guys and, and that's what our focus is on. Jake Muzzin's timeline become any clearer. This is a huge week for the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you think is going through Kyle Dubas's mind? What can Kyle Dubas do this week? If anything, we've talked about the goaltending market and where it's at right now. You're Dubas, what do you do? You have a goalie crisis on your hands in Toronto that no matter what the players do, the goaltending can undo all of it. I think basically what you're asking Kyle Dubas is, are you betting your season on what you have right now? 
do you believe it can get figured out? And there's the other part of this, which is what's the situation with Campbell's injury? Do you believe that a rib injury for a goalie, which sounds pretty significant, Mm -hmm. is something that can sort its way out? We can all look at this publicly and see what's going on and make our own opinions. There's one bit of information that Dubas has that the rest of us don't really know, and that is what is the status of Campbell's injury? Do they believe he can get back and get healthy and then rediscover his early season form? Right now with me, this is the same thing that Edmonton went through, which is we got to get another goalie but we don't like it, what it's going to cost us. And I think if you're Toronto right now, you're asking yourself, is it worth paying the price for Marc-Andre Fleury? But even with that, though, Elliot, there's no guarantee that Marc-Andre Fleury wants to wave to go to Toronto. I don't think it's impossible. I think it simply comes down to, does he think that they can win there? I don't know the answer to that. I think only Fleury can answer that. Does Fleury look in a mirror and say, I can make the difference here? Listen, I think the uh, the healthy ego of, of most elite level hockey players say that. I can go in there and help. Mm-hmm. I'm of the firm belief, Elliot, you don't get to that level of any sport without having that confidence that you can go in and make a difference. Like, do you believe that anyone in the NHL doesn't go to a new market without saying, I think I can really help here. Like, I don't believe that you can get to the top level of any sport without having that confidence and without having that attitude. Do you agree? Yes, I would think so. I would tend to believe that. I'm also wondering if there's anybody else they're looking at out there and saying, yeah, that player can make a difference here. Player or goaltender? Goalie. Like, how good do they think Varlamov is? How good do they think Georgiev is? I wonder if right now the Maple Leafs are thinking, we don't need the ghost of Terry Sawchuk. We need someone better than we have right now. Mm -hmm. We need someone who can give us a save and not let in the bad goal. You know the goal that I'm talking about. The one from the impossible angle or the one that just doesn't get squeezed or the one that goes through the goalie or you know that one. And I have to say, I know a lot of people didn't like that call with the net off. Yeah. That was the right call. By rule, that was 100% the right call. Yep. That was a goal. That was. I think if you're the Maple Leafs, that's what you're thinking right now. We just need something better than this. Like we've tugged at a thread here that's unraveling the whole sweater. And the other thing too, Jeff, is that you already took one from Razik. After the game against Arizona, you came right out the next day and said he's starting the outdoor game. Yeah. How many times are you willing to are you going to keep doing that? Dubas told you on Saturday that this isn't like these are two young goaltenders that have, you know, don't have any track record, but the ones that we have have track record and going through something right now. Dubas has to say that. Yeah. I get that. And Keefe has to support his guy. After the soft comment this year, he's being very careful. You got to do it. I understand it. That's part of the function of the uh, uh, of the manager and of the coach as well. But there's no way. Somebody told me they wouldn't be surprised if, and they've done deals before, if Colorado and Toronto were talking about something. I just have no idea what that could be. <sighs> wow. I always think there's deals out there that we don't see coming, right? 
couple years ago, it was that Vrana Mantha deal. Yeah. Or was that last season? That was last season. Okay, so See, it feels like a million years I know, ago. But it was like, last year. I can't remember what year it is. <laughs> like that's an example that that yeah. Verana Manta deal. I don't know if anybody saw that one coming. So no. I always sit here and say, you know, what's the deal that we don't see coming? Someone told me they heard, you know, Toronto, Colorado were talking about something, and I was saying, like, okay, what's the deal that we don't see coming? Don't know. Is there another goalie out there who's available? that we we don't see coming i don't know we've gone through the list of we've all gone through the list of goaltenders so many different times up and down and sideways i think you said it right are you betting your season on what you have and i just don't think you can anymore big week coming up okay to the buffalo sabers side of things a couple of things the cousin sinistroza krebs line was excellent yeah I thought that Craig Anderson was real good too. I'm really, because I've been you know cheering for the guy since he got drafted, I'm really liking what I'm seeing right now out of Rasmus Dahlin. Like the last, what do you figure, like month or so, Elliot? Like they're going to add Owen Power to this mix yep. as well. But to me, the big story on the blue line, because I know everyone will be excited about here comes Owen Power for Sorval draft, is the development of Rasmus Dahlin. To me, he looks real good. He does look real good. And, you know, they beat Toronto 5-1 to one a couple of weeks ago. And someone said to me, watch Deline in that third period. And I actually went back and I watched some of his stuff in the third. And that was when Buffalo went from up 3-1 after 2 to winning the game 5-1. You know, he's got 37 points this year in 58 games, so he's going to get a 40-point season. And his career high is 44 in his rookie year. He has a chance to beat it. But someone was saying, look how well he played defensively in the third period that night, and Yoko Harju, his regular partner, wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. And they said that's the biggest change they've noticed in Deline. And then, like you know, his challenge with Matthews at the end of that game. See, obviously, you can't cross-check someone in the head. But aside from that, and I know that's a big aside from, but aside from that, I just loved watching two number one picks take pieces of flesh out of each other in a big moment of a game. Mm-hmm. I love Matthews doing it, except for the one, obviously. And I love Dalene doing it. And as someone who's watched Buffalo a lot more than I have this year said that that is the biggest difference, is that we all knew that Dalene could get points, but now we're seeing how he can defend. And he's on the ice against really good players in big moments, and he's really improving. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was talking to a couple of Buffalo's veteran guys and, you know, sometimes I think you can tell when people are just playing you or, or talking stuff and just saying things. This isn't talking. The veterans here, they like these young players in terms of they think that they're really talented and, you know, everybody has their moments, but generally they think that they have their heads screwed on straight. And they're getting better. Now, one of the things a couple of them said to me was, they don't know how long this is going to take because of the way that Buffalo is finishing this season, assuming it keeps going this way, there's going to be some expectation on them next year. Not to make the playoffs so much, but just to be better, right? And it's a lot more of a challenge when there's expectation on you. 
you know, right now, nobody's expecting a lot from Buffalo, and sometimes it's easier to kind of grow in those situations. It's going to be different next year, and they said it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys handle it. But they really genuinely think that this year has been a good year in terms of getting better, understanding what it takes. And, you know, they said that they're, they're veterans there. Like, Anderson, in his own way, is a pretty demanding guy. Opozo, in his own way, pretty demanding guy. We've mentioned how they're talking about who's Powers' partner going to be. Some of those veterans told me they, they have hope for that this group is going to figure it out. The question is just, are they going to figure it out while some of these veterans are still playing? <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting with Craig Anderson, too, because, you know, that was one of the reasons why he was brought in. Mm-hmm. Like, there were a couple of options. Once Linus Allmark, I think, surprised Buffalo by signing with the Boston Bruins, you know, they scrambled, okay, what are we going to do? Where's our goaltender? I mean, they didn't have many options. They had a couple. Devin Dubnik was one of them. And they went with Craig Anderson. And one of the feelings, I believe, was he's going to be great with the younger players. And, you know, what was one of the first things that he talked about in that interview with Bukowskis right after the game? Um, I think it's just the kids, you know. You see these young guys come up and they're they're striving, they're working hard, and you just want to give the, give back to them. And, you know, I think as, as, as far as I can remember, every time I put on the pads with these guys, I'm having fun, I'm enjoying coming to the rink. So as long as I'm, you know, having fun and enjoying the game, there's no reason for me not to, to keep coming. Well, last one for you then. You mentioned the young group in front of you this year. How have you seen them grow? So far, it's been a, a great process. It is a process at the end of the day. Um, you're not going to be overnight successes. We're, we're going to work through some bumps and bruises, but for the most part, we've got the right mindset. We've got the right guys in the room, and you know they're all pulling on the rope in the right direction. We're all looking for team success over individual success. Like That's one of the reasons why that guy is in. Listen, I, we all wish he didn't have the injury this year and, and could have played more games. But right now, Craig Anderson is looking great, and... I think that's a really good player to have around a lot of these young kids. And, and even though it's the goaltender and generally, oh, the goaltenders are, are on their own program, I think it's great for a guy like Peyton Krebs or Casey Middlestad or Rasmus Dahlin or Matias Samuelson, whomever, to be around someone like Craig Anderson. I think he's great for the kids. That was a really good move by the Buffalo Sabres and, you know, was probably in his own mind thinking, well, I wonder if that's it. I wonder if I'm done. Well, the one thing about Anderson is I have asked Kevin Adams, have you talked to him about playing next year? And he said, we haven't gotten to that point yet. So we'll see where that goes. After the Matthews Dulling thing, you know, Dylan Cousins, it looked worse than it really was. Oh, the hit? Yeah, it looked worse than it really was. Like, you know, it wasn't a run. Matthews was a little bit off balance. But I thought it was instructive that another Sabre made a point of it after the whole Darlene Matthews thing. And then Mikheyev charged at Cousins, right? Yeah. And both of those teams were showing that they were standing up for each other. I thought it was interesting that Cousins did that because to me it kind of showed, well, you know, Rasmus, you're not alone. And then I thought it was important McKayev did it because then it said, like, you can't hit our guy and get away with it. But that's probably as important for Buffalo right now as it is for Toronto. It's important for each other. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all looking at Buffalo very differently than we were even a couple of weeks ago. Are we looking at Vegas? differently than we were a couple of weeks ago as well. If we can, you know, use Peyton Krebs to pivot here, they lose 
a tough one to Columbus. I know you were working there, played the Blue Jackets and Cole Sillinger looked fantastic, had the, the hat trick and Columbus handed it to the, the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, afterward, Pete DeBoer uh, says, We're four games into this trip and, you know, I, I, I could argue we, we could have won every one of the games, but we found ways to lose and that's, that's troubling. And, you know, like I said, we've got to stop the bleeding. Listen, right now, the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, they've lost four games in a row. They're on the second wild card spot. Dallas is one point back with three games in hand. Edmonton's third in the Pacific. We didn't expect to be talking this positively about the Buffalo Sabres on, as we record this, March 13th. And I don't think we expected to be talking this negatively about the Vegas Golden Knights on March 13th, Elliot. No, no, we, we certainly weren't. And it's the way it's happening too, right? Yeah. Three goals in the third period against Pittsburgh. Goes hard. Here's Freeman in the attacking zone. Right circle. Wrist shot. He scores! Mark Friedman goes top shelf to break the deadlock. His first of the year makes it 3-2 Penguins. The Buffalo game, which we alluded to the other night. Yeah. They've struggled of late. They're on the bubble in the Western Conference. Sabres, they've lost 8 of 10. They're trying to get going. Pass to Brett. Score! What a goal! Peyton Krebs. The youngster involved in the Jack Eichel trade with the beautiful redirection goal. And the Sabres... Columbus... Six to four. And now it's the Golden Knights with a giveaway. Bjorkstrand bounces the pass ahead to Max Domi. Domi's got a man going to the net in Sillinger. And he scores! First career hat trick in the National Hockey League for Cole Sillinger! Look at all the how much money you've got on injured reserve or long-term injured reserve right now. You've got McNabb at two and a half. You've got Yanmark at two. You've got Howden at just under a million. So there's almost five and a half right there. Then on your long term, you've got Stone at nine and a half. You've got Martinez at five, two and a half. You know, that's $20 million right there. And then you have Pacioretty, who is a $7 million player who was out of the lineup against Columbus. And you have Leonard, who's a $5 million player who's out of the lineup right now. So between all of those guys, you're over $30 million out of the lineup. Yeah. Now, the question is, is Vegas, front office-wise and ownership-wise, going to say this is simply a matter of we've got guys out and we have to wait until they come back? You know, Pacioretty tried to play and then he was out again. Mm -hmm. Or are they going to say that's irrelevant? We don't care that there's guys out of the lineup, we have to play better. And that's where you start to wonder, what does that mean exactly? So my feeling on that would be people in management would understand the situation and look down the uh, the laundry list of injuries and say, that's why we're here. But then above them, I could see the owner saying, that's irrelevant. We're here to win. Like we've talked about this you know, singular nasty focus that Vegas has. Oh, you're the face of the franchise? Now you're in Chicago. Oh, hey, you're happy to be here and people love you? Yeah, Nate Schmidt, now you're in Vancouver. Like, this is the ruthless pursuit of the Stanley Cup. You know, someone can help us? Great, we'll throw someone else over the side of the boat to bring you in. I don't think for a second that ownership looks at this and says, yeah, this is the reason why we're losing. 
I think ownership probably looks at this and says, why are we losing? The thing about we talk about with Vegas, <laughs> we do talk about Vegas and some of the things that they've done. And then this year, like Detroit put a guy on waivers on his birthday. Yeah, Danny DeKaiser. <laughs> you know, I, I mean. Happy birthday. <laughs> You're cleared. And someone brought up to me the Patrick Berglund trade with St. Louis yeah. and Buffalo. So it was interesting. Like someone said to me, there are a lot of ruthless things done in this league and they're not convinced Vegas is any different than anybody else. But I think you get into certain situations where you start to get into DEFCON 1, right? And, you know, if we're talking about Toronto. I think Kyle Dubas tries to react more calmly than others. He's not always successful, but I think he tries to react that way. Mm -hmm. I think when that comes in Vegas, I think they are more apt to say, okay. And I think they've been pretty patient here because I do think they recognize what they're dealing with. But if you were going to look at an organization and say, they might throw a real curveball at us here, like a shocker that we're not seeing, Vegas would be one of those teams. Yes, I agree with that. That's why, you know, to your point, this is a big week for the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is a huge week for the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm -hmm. They're falling out of this thing, Elliot. Mm -hmm. That don't work well for Vegas. They don't do that. You know, this is not the way Vegas operates. There's no, like, understanding that, oh, well, we've got a couple of key injuries here. And, you know, Jack Eichel's just, you know, getting his legs underneath him here after, you know, being out and getting the uh, the ADR surgery. There's none of that with Vegas. Vegas isn't fond about making excuses. We look at a team like Dallas, who's chasing them right now. Dallas is a hardworking team. Dallas now, you know, has, you know, uh, the situation with Miro Haskinen with mononucleosis. And you think Klingberg's, by the way, is staying there now? I do, don't you? Makes sense. I think he's become too valuable to that team right now. With Haskinen out, it, it would take a whopper of a deal, I think, if you're Jim Nill to say, yeah, we'll, we'll let go of John Klingberg, considering, you know, the, the mantra around there is still, we're getting to the playoffs and we're going to try to damage here. And listen, you had Joe Pavelski give the team the shot in the arm, um, signing the one-year contract extension. But, you know, the one thing about the Dallas Stars in the last few years, Elliot, what have we talked about? How many guys play hurt? How many guys play injured in Dallas? Remember the bubble? A lot. Remember? And was like, okay, we're going to find out at the end just how bad it is. You know, these guys are walking down the highway back home with bandages all over them. That's been the story of the Dallas Stars for the last few seasons. I don't know if that's still there, if there's still guys that are banged up, but that's a team that has a lot of guts. The players on that team, they play hurt, man. There's a lot of tough players on the Dallas Stars, and that's a no-excuse team, and that's the one that's creeping up on the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, they're not one that's going to use the, oh, we're banged up excuse, oh, we're hurt excuse. And I look at Vegas and I, I say, you know, maybe management would look at it and say, look, man, we've got $30 million worth of players that are wearing suits. But I don't know if the owner looks at it that way. Right? What was his line? We're winning the Stanley Cup within five years. And the first year, they almost did it. Yep. Three games within it. And ever since, it's been this ruthless pursuit. But yeah, I, I don't, if we can dovetail the Dallas, I don't think Klingberg's getting moved. So funny. You've been chasing that one all year long. All year all long. Year long. And there have been times where it heated up. Like there were discussions with Carolina. No, I, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say you, you were just wrong the whole season. <laughs> just wrong. 
just wrong. Just wrong the whole season about uh, about John Klingberg. I think he's just become too valuable to that organization. Although here's one for you. Vegas, for a couple of years there, really chased Radic Faxa. Yeah, but are, are you trading him now? No, not. I'm just throwing it as an aside since we're talking about Vegas and Dallas here. In my lifelong pursuit to get as much information out for the history record books <laughs> uh, as possible. There always was interest with Radic Faxa from the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay, when we talk about huge weeks coming up, we discussed Claude Giroux on Saturday. And right now... I'll say this. I think this whole Colorado thing is about to become... A big deal. So there was a rumor last week. I heard that that Colorado had an LTIR situation and it was coming. You know, then they announced it, Gerard was going to be out and someone said to me, not him. And I was like, what else is going on here? And then they announced Landeskog. And I said, him? And they go, yeah. yeah I thought Kevin BX made a great point. He said that Gabriel Landeskog, like this is their year to win the Stanley Cup. They said he is not having surgery if he can't play. In Kevin's eyes, he said he is having surgery knowing that he's going to be able to come back and play. So now the question is when. But I'll say this. That's a really smart group there. Would not surprise me in the least bit if they they plan this. They're in. They're safe. They're comfortable. They know they're going to be in the playoffs. They know they're going to have a good seating. And now can they add? And someone else who says to me, like, I've had different opinions on Giroux. You know, I think I don't remember if I said it on the podcast here. I said it somewhere else. I do so many of these interviews. I can't remember what I say where. But someone said to me it was 60-40, Giroux stays east. Slight advantage, nothing too crazy. But now, I mean, look, Giroux is a righty shot. Landis Gog is a lefty shot. But there's options there to open up your top six, and there's options there now on your power play. You know, I have a couple people said to me that they're wondering if that is going to be the spot Mm -hmm. that opens up. Because you said it was slow moving. It's pretty quiet around, man. Yeah, now I wonder if that's going to pick up. Yeah. You know, I could be totally wrong. Like you were on Klingberg, I could be totally wrong. <laughs> Not but, wrong on Klingberg. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just busting you. <laughs> I could be totally wrong, and this is all circumstantial evidence. But I was talking about it with a couple people I think are really smart. Yeah, and they all see it playing out that particular way. Like there's certainly been conversations. I don't think there's been any like big offers here. Like for a couple of reasons. One, like you know, someone told me a couple of weeks ago. Because we were discussing the nature of, you know, what it's like out there and how quiet it is right now. And someone brought up the point is that like, look, like all these teams are like right up against the cap. Like they need more so than anything else, the necessity of leaving this to the last minute, the economic necessity, because they need as much cap space as they can get. Because normally it's, you know, we can make moves beforehand, bring someone in, you know, six weeks before deadline, get them used to our program or players and all that. Man, when you're on a, in a league where everybody's capped out, you need to accrue as much cap space as you can before making your deals. And maybe that accounts for why it's you know relatively quiet around Claude Giroux right now. Although I'm with you. I think Colorado became really interesting on Saturday with these moves. And I look at you, what you mentioned about Gabriel Landeskog and 
to me, I look at it and say it's probably something that he would have had done in the off season, whatever it is. But it made more sense now to do it before the playoffs and get him out of the lineup for however many weeks this is going to take. Clean something up. Clean. I want to talk about a couple of things quick. I want to talk about Jacob Chikrin and John Marino. Well, you know, I should mention Hurdle. The one thing I'm trying to figure out is, has San Jose given Hurdle a deadline here? We've got to know by X. And as of Saturday, I didn't have any evidence of that. But you think they're inching closer here? I know they're really trying. I know they're really trying. Like I've heard there's two parts to this deal. One is the terms, and people seem to think they will get there. But the other thing I've heard is, is San Jose saying, we're going to rebuild a couple of years here. Mm. Is it going to be a couple of years until we're ready? And, you know, how does Hurdle feel about that? I would imagine that any conversation with Hurdle about a long-term contract extension revolves around, okay, what are we doing here the next few years? Well, I think that has a lot to do with it. So I think they filled him in and now he's going to make his decision. People say to me that San Jose is painting a really league-wide, a really positive picture that we believe we're going to get this done. But until it's done, it's not done. Want to expand on your John Marino thought from Saturday? So Pittsburgh played earlier Sunday afternoon. Carolina carried the play. I think they outshot them 2-1, to one, but the Penguins won the game. Marcus Pedersen was a healthy scratch, first time since he was traded to the Penguins. You know, him and John Marino, they've had tough years. I think both of those players have been on Vancouver's radar. But I heard Marino, and I think Vancouver really tried to make a run at him. I had a couple of people tell me they were really surprised that Pittsburgh would even consider it because even though he's had a rough year, they know how the Penguins think of him as a player. But I've just heard that they've had a really difficult time making a match. Vancouver with Pittsburgh. Whatever they're offering, it's not only, I think, the mix of players, but I think what the contract situations could potentially be. And I think that that is a thing. Like someone who's not affiliated with either one of these teams said to me that one of the problems with dealing with Vancouver is look, like they're trying to solve their cap problems, which is perfectly sensible. Everybody would want to do that. I think everybody gets that. But the thing is that the other teams are saying, why would we want the same cap problem that you're dealing with? So if we're talking about, say, Besser, hmm. you know that you know Vancouver is nervous about the QO until the other team knows that they can solve that problem. Why are they going to deal for that? unless they want to extend Besser at that number. The thing about Miller, too, is if you're talking about extending Miller, you know what first-line centers in this league get. I really think, too, and again, this is my opinion, but it kind of makes sense from what I'm hearing Vancouver's looking at. I don't know if it's Mika's Benajad or whatever it is, whatever number, but they know what a number one center makes in the NHL. I think they're trying to see if they could move other players to keep Miller, can they create the cap room to sign Miller this summer? So I think all of these things are going on, and I think they do like Marino. 
I just hear it's really tough for them to make a match. You know, the uh, the point about Miller is an interesting one, too, and I can't help but thinking about there's the number and there's the term. Now, you might turn around to say, well, hang on, longer term will bring down, you know, the AAV. Like you brought up John Klingberg a couple of seconds ago. I think Dallas would have gone shorter term on him, but that would have been a higher number. You know, Klingberg would have wanted something longer term, which would have got the number a little friendlier for the Dallas Stars. Do you think Vancouver is thinking the same thing? That aging curves are real. Like, this is not a dumb organization. They understand the reality of things like aging curves. Do you think Vancouver's approach is, look, we know how old he is. We know what happens to players in their 30s and how when they fall off, it's hard and steep. Do you think it's, we're willing to go to this number, but not for this term? with Miller. The best I can tell is that it's too early to say that. It may be. I mean, it makes sense, Jeff. It absolutely makes sense. I just don't know if that's true. Jacob Trickwin, um, the story is we're waiting to find out. We'll probably know Tuesday. MRI. Everybody is holding their breath now, certainly Arizona. And you know what? It doesn't look as if, or doesn't sound as if Arizona has softened at all on their ask like the three big pieces that they want for Jacob Chikrin. It sounds to me, I don't know if it sounds to you, uh, like they're not budging from it. They want a really good young prospect. They want a really good young player uh, who's in the league, and they want a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. It sounds like they're not budging off of that. And I guess considering there's terms still attached to Jacob Chikrin, could say they're in no hurry. I mean, now they might they may have no choice. They may have no choice. I mean, the decision is. may be taken away from them. And and I will say this, Jeff. I have heard that Arizona wanted to do this for this exact reason. You know, Chickren gets hurt, and that's a fluke. Yeah, you can't really blame him for that one. He got folded up, just a fluke play. But you know, someone said to me when this happened. Somebody reached out to me and said, I guarantee you, mm. and I know he said that Arizona's like, oh, we were worried about this. Montreal, same way Ben Sherratt. They were worried about that. That was a scary one. But what are them. you going to do? Not let a guy play? Like, I mean, you know, the, the league will let you get away with that if you're about to trade a guy, but they won't let you get away with that if you're saying we're putting him in bubble wrap until he gets traded. You can't do it. You can't. You can either wrap the world in rubber or go buy a good pair of shoes. So before we go to viewer uh, notes, Elliot, no one can see us. Did I just call them viewers again? No one can see us, Elliot. And good for them. As hard as you squint right now, gentle listener, you can't see me, Elliot, and Amal right now. These are listeners. 300 episodes, man. 300 episodes. You're still calling them viewers? Oh, Amal, <laughs> go away. Like, seriously, who let you talk? <laughs> So the listener emails and voicemails, we'll get to those in a sec, but yeah. I did want to ask you, you've been on top of this story. You know this better than me. Do you think two leagues is a good idea? In a perfect world, it's not. Okay. We all know that this is an imperfect world. Okay. I look at this from outside and I was talking about this with a couple people at the game today and we were all sitting there saying, you know, what is so hard that they can't work together like what's happened and i will say this there were people who understood that with the previous leadership there was a lot of bad blood and it was never going to happen on both sides correct but now the whole reason that leadership was changed 
was to eliminate this problem. And I have to tell you, there's people saying to me, and I said, look, like Jeff knows this more than I do. And if he reports it, he knows it. People are saying this was supposed to be solved. This wasn't supposed to be the case. And they don't understand why Mm -hmm. the two different sides in the women's game can't make a deal. The two sides have spoken previously. Mm-hmm. Jana Heffer's PWHPA and Tyler Tuminia's PHF. Now Tuminia is exiting, I believe, at the end of the playoffs from the role as commissioner. But the two sides have spoken before. Uh, the NHL has been involved in those meetings. And so they've been kept uh, you know, abreast of the communications between the two. And they have not been able yet to find any common ground, which I know frustrates people. Like I I understand exactly what you're saying, Elliot, because I think most sane people look at this and say, look, you have two groups that have the exact same goal. Like you have two groups that have the exact same target. How come they can't get together on a deal? Because I think to your point, if you have two separate leagues, again, two competing entities, what it does is it creates a market confusion and it, it continues to fragment women's hockey. My thought on this one right now is from the PWHPA's point of view, that's Jana Hefford, who's the operations manager of the PW, that's her group, with, for lack of a better term, all the Olympians. Okay. They've worked at this now for three years to get to this place where it sounds like. Like, Elliot, it sounds like the financing is really close. Like, they either have it or they're almost right there. Now, there's still a lot of other things that need to be worked out. I know the PW is working, you know, with Deloitte on on putting something like this together. But, you know, as someone told me recently, do you really think the PW would go this far after all they fought for to get this to the finish line and then turn around and say, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't go on our own. Let's see if we can do something with the PHF. Like they've done this and they've gotten this there. They've fought for this. They've played for this. Countless, you know, interviews and presentations and they're right there at the finish line right now. I don't get the feeling that anyone in that group is saying, now let's see if we can do a deal. And from the PHF's point of view, you know, what you're seeing is a lawn sprinkler of press releases right now about new ownership and big names attached to teams. And I think there'll be more. You know, we just saw Willie O'Ree, you know, his name attached to the Boston Pride. You know, Anthony Stewart is a colleague at Sportsnet, Angela James, Bernice Carnegie, Ted Nolan. And I think there's going to be more big names attached to a lot of these teams. Like we know there's an interest from sponsors. We know that um, you know, as one person told me recently, you know, part of the the, the market hesitation for some of the, the sponsors is, you know, we need to see business plans and we need to see how this is going to work. And until we perhaps see it in action, theoretically, we would like to get into this uh, involved in the women's game. Philosophically, we're right there. We just want to see how this would work. I think the PW is right there with it right now. Like the PHF is an existing league. And I think the PWHPA are right there at putting together the structure for a new one. You know, there were calls on Friday and Saturday where players were were caught up on, on what the scenario could look like. 
There was uh, a meeting with uh, the PWHPA and the NHL early last week uh, where there was a presentation. I don't have any details on what happened in that presentation, but the one thing that the PWHPA has been consistent on. You is, know what? I, I got to tell you something. Like when you talk about like PHF, like I just. I know. My eyes gloss over because the, the alphabet, like it just, it's so confusing. I just, confusing. Jeff, I just hope everybody here knows what they're doing. I really do. I hope they know what they're doing. Put it this way. I think for the good of, not just for the good of the women's game, for the but for the good of capital H hockey, mm-hmm. that this works. And I keep, I've explained this to so many uh, friends and colleagues as well. The more successful the women's game is, the more successful the men's game is. And why is that? Because you're helping to build the industry. You're not just building the women's game, but if more women play hockey and there are more successful women's leagues, there are things like more rinks that are being built. Equipment manufacturers do better as well. Trainers do better as well. The whole industry gets built. You know what it is, Jeff? Who gets hurt? The players get hurt. What do you mean the players get hurt? The players get hurt because they don't get sustainable leagues out of it. Like the only way this is going to grow is a sustainable league. And if we're splitting up all the money all the time, Mm -hmm. are we ever going to get there? Listen, I think that it gets there eventually. I know you don't like to hear this. I think that this gets there eventually. But unfortunately, I think these two sides are going to compete against each other first. I know I, I keep bringing up the WHA NHL example. It's a different scenario. What's the old saying that I always quote? The old Mark Twain line, history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. And there's a lot of rhyming here between what happened in the NHL and the WHA in the 70s. It is my belief that if I'm trying to forecast this thing, there are two leagues that are established. They compete and beat each other up for however long and then realize at a certain point, there needs to be a coming together. That's what it feels like to me. All right. You know better than me. We'll see where it goes. We cross our fingers. Shall we do some emails and calls? You're right. Let's do that. Quick break, Elliot. Back with some of your emails, some of your phone calls. For all you kind viewers. All right, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Now, Jeff, I understand there's one more very important woman that we need to hear from. Yes, there is. Hey, Amal, Elliot, and Jeff, I just want to congratulate you on 300 episodes of 32 Thoughts. I know how much time you all put into this podcast and the level of perfection you guys strive for. I will say I was worried when we found out I was pregnant with Noah and how Amal would adjust his hours with the baby, but it seems as though 32 Thoughts was actually training him for the late nights and early mornings with a newborn. So thanks for that. Again, congratulations, and here's to many more to come. (laughs) 
Elliot, Amal wants to know, where is our pie? <laughs> I still have it. I got an apple pie for Amal. What's that story? I, I, it was the apple picking farm. I still have those pies. Oh, is that Chudley's? Yes. I've just, I've never been able to deliver them because of uh, the pandemic, but I still have them. You'll get them. Mm. I have to say, Noah makes more sense than you do, Amal. That's, there's no question about that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. That's really good. That's fantastic. Okay. That was great stuff. That was really excellent. Love hearing. Uh, hey, Noah made his debut on the podcast. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, let's get to some uh, some emails and some phone calls here. Uh, the email address, 32thoughts.sportsnet.ca. The, uh, the thought line, 1-866-311-3232. 1-866-311-3232. A quick note about the inbox, by the way. It has now surpassed 2,000 plus emails in four months and over 250 voicemails in three. So thank you, everybody, for participating. Try to get to as many as possible. It's challenging. Let's start with Dan. Hey, guys, love the talk of testing new rules. Do you think the NHL could add a third tier of minor league below the ECHL where they could test these rules out in real competitive games or basically just run an independent league like MLB does? Great job, Jeff. Great job, Amel. <laughs> this is really catching on. I, I it's like good. That. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere Berkey is smiling and he has no <laughs> idea why. I don't know if that's ever going to be the case. You know, we've talked about maybe doing it at All-Star. That's our idea. That's not necessarily the league's idea. We've also talked about, you know, do you do the summer development camp? There's so little time for people to recharge during the summer. I don't know if that's going to happen, but there has to be something. I would like to try these things. I like the idea of maybe doing it at the All-Star game. I really yeah, that'd do. that would be kind of cool. That really would be kind of cool. That, that would add a whole new flavor to it. Doug in Calgary, Elliot. Uh, I'm a longtime lacrosse guy from Calgary. Here's my list of what I believe are slash were the best lacrosse players that played in the NHL. Dunk Wilson, hey, the goalie, may not have been the best lacrosse player, but he did play for both the Canucks and the Vancouver Berards in the same season, 1971. I also think Sean Monaghan was a top player and may have been able to play in the NLL. One name you don't hear about these crossover players is Colin Patterson. He was tough. He was in wicked shape too. I played lacrosse with Colin a few years back and he's very good. Some other notable names include Jack Bionda, two-time Man Cup MVP, Joe Neuendijk, Adam Oates, Gary Roberts, and Brandon Montour. I think it's the best crossover sport. I do. I think it's, honestly, Elliot, I think it's the best complimentary sport for hockey for a number of reasons. I think Adam Foote was another good one, too. You know what? All those Whitby guys. Yeah, from Whitby, the Newendike-Roberts connection. Yes. All those Whitby guys were all great. And the Peterborough crew, too. Here's why I think that um, lacrosse is the best crossover sport. One, it's great for your cardio. Two, it's great for toughness. Three, it's great for hand-eye coordination. And you know what it's great for as well? And that's really helped my kids. My kids, when they first started playing hockey, also played lacrosse for a couple of years. And you know where it helped, Elliot? And I really encourage all beginner hockey players to at least try lacrosse for one very specific reason. And they still do it to this day. And I swear it's because of lacrosse. When they skate, when they shoot, when they make plays, when they pass, their head is up. And it's because of lacrosse. Hockey, you're encouraged to put your head down because the object of play is on the ice. 
where lacrosse, the ball is in the air. Who encourages you to put your head down on hockey? No, when you first start playing hockey, like naturally your head goes down to watch the puck. Wait a second, but I disagree with that though. I was playing minor hockey 40 something years ago, but I was always told, keep your head up. Oh no, no, you're told to keep your head up. Yeah. But your natural inclination as you play. I thought you said you taught to keep no, your head down. No, okay, no, 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 no. When, when you play. Okay, maybe I misheard you. No, you're inclined naturally to put your head down. Pay attention to me, please. For the first time in your life, please I was try like, to pay attention. Sorry, I, I snapped out of my <laughs> trance-like state when I heard that. You're like Peppermint Patty, and I'm like the teacher, I swear, and Charlie Brown. In your mind, I'm just wah, 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 wah in the background, and you're just, uh, yes, yes, yes. So in hockey, like you're naturally looking at the ground. Like you're naturally looking on the ice. What I found is when my kids started to play lacrosse, because all passing is – you know, the ball is, is in the air. They had to keep their heads up while they were running. And then the next season they started to play hockey and all of a sudden their heads were up on all the plays. And I'm like, oh man, thank God I got these kids into lacrosse early because I really think it helped their hockey career. Smart. Oh, by the way, how'd you like that lacrosse play that you uh, that you wrote about in 32 Thoughts with the uh, Ricard Raquel, Dallas Aikens play with the Anaheim Ducks and then Mason McTavish and Hamilton. By the way, I just remember it from the Olympics, Ted Nolan, Latvia, Canada. There's there's one other thing that I wanted to add because you wrote about it in 32 Thoughts last week. I'm 99% sure I should go back and check before just blasting off on the podcast. That Mason McTavish play mm-hmm. that you put in the Hamilton, I think it was Nathan Steos, Steve Steos' son. Yeah, it was. He threw that the made pass. the pass. Did he yeah. throw the pass? Yes, it was. Nathan Steos to, to Mason McTavish. All right. From Dylan in New York. Hey guys, love the show. Had a question about no move, no trade clauses. Assuming a player waives their no move clause for a trade and has a few years left on their deal, what happens if they're traded again? Do they resubmit a list of teams they're willing to go to or is the clause voided from the initial wave to be moved in the first place? Do any examples come to mind? Thank you, Jeff and Amal, for all that you do. P.S. When is Almo replacing Elliot since he asked the best interview questions? <laughs> nice of you to leave that one out for a second, Jeff, but I was putting that in. I was going to get that after. Dylan, this is a good question because it's changed a couple of times. Initially, if you were traded and you waived your no-move clause to be traded, you didn't get it back. It was gone. The team that acquired you had the choice of whether or not they wanted to pick it up. And one of the cases was P.K. Subban. He was traded from Montreal to Nashville, and Nashville had the choice of whether or not to pick up P.K. Subban's no trade, and they didn't, and he was eventually traded to New Jersey. Now it has changed with a more recent CBA negotiation. Now if a player is traded and agrees to waive his no-move clause, then when they are sent to their new team, it comes back. So the player has control. Good one. Uh, let's get to a voicemail. Hey, Jeff, Elliot, and Amo. Love the show. This is Kunji Ikeda calling you from Calgary, Alberta. I noticed an interesting signing. Uh, it's a depth signing, but Billy Sweezy was signed to a contract by the Blue Jackets for the next two years, starting in 22-23. He's currently an unrestricted free agent. And he is not under contract for 21-22. Is there anything stopping a team from signing him for a one-year contract for the rest of this year if they wanted a, a depth option? 
and then he would be under contract for the jacket the following year. Is that possible? Well, first of all, thank you for the question. I love the name Billy Sweezy. When this player signed last week, I said, what a fantastic name. Great name. Your your premise isn't exactly correct, Kunji. He is under contract now this year on an AHL contract with Cleveland in the American Hockey League. And sometimes this will happen where teams don't have the cap room to sign a player for the rest of this year or they don't want to put the player in the NHL the rest of this year. So they sign him to an AHL deal for this season. And then what Sweezy has is a two-way deal two years beginning next year. So this year he's AHL only. He gets to play. And next year he's on the NHL AHL deal. That happens sometimes, yes. Billy Sweezy, by the way, old school defenseman, Elliot. This guy loves the hitting. You know, there are some guys that'll do it, but don't love it. That's not this guy. This guy hits for keeps. Played at Chicago Steel, then at Yale, and now, as Elliot mentions, he's on the American Hockey League deal with the Cleveland Monsters. Let's get to another phone call, this one from Calgary as well. Hey, guys, this is uh, Mark from Calgary calling. Uh, Thanks for the pod. You guys are like my go-to for my dog walks now. I really appreciate it. Uh, Elliot, you took a beating about the whole uh, bald spot thing, and I thought you took it like a champ. Uh, it was uh, some good humor, but even with all that, I think actually Jeff is a little bit funnier. Anyways, here's my question. What? With the trade deadline coming up Cut soon, you guys talk about different types of contracts, but I'm not entirely clear. Could you explain what the difference between a one-way contract is, a two-way contract, and a three-way contract? I'm not crystal clear on that. So if you guys had a second to walk through that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Sure. No no problem, Mark. Well, first of all, three-way contracts don't exist anymore. Um, but Mark Jordana was one of the last players to have one. When he first signed in North America after being in the KHL, he signed a contract that gave him one salary in the NHL, one salary in the AHL, and one salary in the ECHL. So that's what's called a three-way contract because he had three different salaries depending on what league he was playing in. Do you remember his the AHL team that he played on at that point? No, who was it? It was the Axar Ben Knights. The Ax that's right. I totally forgot about that. They sound yeah. like a KHL team. Never I know mind the, Ax- the Axar Ben Knights, Nebraska backwards, baby. Sorry, go ahead. Totally forgot about them. That's a good call, Jeff. So now if you're in the AHL or the ECHL, you get the same number. So it's a two-way contract. You get one salary in the NHL and one salary in the minor league. So that's a two-way deal. A one-way deal means you just have an NHL contract, which means even if you are sent down to the minors, you still get your salary at the NHL level. Mm -hmm. So that's basically means uh, how many different salaries that you have. One way is purely NHL, no matter where you play. Two ways is one salary in the NHL and one salary in the minors. And three-way no longer exists. It was one in the NHL, one in the AHL, and one in the ECHL. You know why I love that question? Because I always have to remind myself that we assume a lot when we do this podcast yes. and we assume that everybody knows what the difference is, what a one way is, or even something like the, what the term QO means. And I always remind myself, you're never going to bring more people under the tent unless you, you know, spell out what it is exactly you're talking about. And there's no such thing for anyone that wants to send in questions like that. There's no such thing. Don't be embarrassed to send it because like, I don't know what this yeah. means. Sometimes That's we forget. Totally, totally fine. Cause I'm guilty of this, Elliot assuming too much 
you know? So don't think that there's, you know, anything, oh, I don't know if I should send this pretty basic question. No, go ahead and send it. It's like my, my mom used to always say to me, don't make fun of people who mispronounce things because that means they read it from a book and we should be encouraging more people to read. Stephanie in New Jersey submits this one, a big assist, by the way, from her dad, Steve. Hi, guys. Oh, I love this line. Big 32 Thoughts fan. Jeff is insightful. Amel is the glue. Elliot is there. <laughs> my question is related to something my dad keeps bringing up. We're longtime Dallas Stars fans, and like a lot of fans, we've been frustrated with the coaching staff and would be in favor of a change. My dad's ideas for the Stars to bring Jim Montgomery back now that he's had time to recover from the issues that originally caused him to lose his job in Dallas and has had time as an assistant coach in St. Louis to get back in the game. I was wondering if there's any historical precedence for a coach returning to a former team under those kind of circumstances, or if my dad's thought starter is just an interesting, if unrealistic, idea. Well, first of all, I think Jim Montgomery's getting a head coaching job again, Elliot. I think you probably will too. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be in Montreal. Kent Hughes, I believe, represented Jim Montgomery when Jim Montgomery was a player. But this is going so well with Martin St. Louis, as long as he wants it, I'm just assuming he's going to get the job. So that one's out. Look, it's not like it hasn't happened before. Daryl Sutter went back to L.A. first, and then he went back to Calgary. So you can't say it's never occurred. Look at Montreal. You know, they've had Claude Julien go back before so it's not like it's impossible i had reported earlier this year that dallas considered a coaching change around the all-star break decided not to do it i'm curious to see if rick bonus is going to want to continue to come back after this year it's not impossible it's just these circumstances were so unique i'm sure they'd all have to sit down there and figure out okay is it good for everybody to do this again? I think that would kind of be the, the biggest question. Uh, Stephanie, line of the podcast. Elliot is there. I am. Okay, Elliot, let's finish off with one more voicemail. Hey, Jeff and Elliot. Love the show. My name is Ryan, and I'm calling from Kingston, Ontario. I had a quick thought while watching the Habs-Oilers game on Saturday night. During the game, the Habs scored two goals that were both challenged and disallowed due to offside. One was scored by Nick Suzuki and the other by Laurent Dauphin. The big difference was that the Dauphin goal was scored directly after the zone entry, but the Suzuki one was scored after being in the zone for about 30 seconds. I was wondering if you think the NHL should implement a rule where after a certain amount of time goes by after the zone entry, a goal can no longer be challenged for offside. Let me know what you think and keep up the great work. Go Habs, go. It's a good question because when the rule was first brought in on the offside challenge, this was asked. And some of the hockey people... Uh, I believe Colin Campbell is one of these people. He said, look, if the puck goes into his zone and the team keeps pressure for two minutes, isn't that the defensive team's fault? And you can't let a team off the hook if they can't carry the puck for two minutes. But the league, I think it was Daly, actually, he made the argument to me, once it's offside, it's offside, and the whole thing is tainted. And he said, you can't make it subjective. It's either offside or it's not. Because if you make it subjective, you open up a whole can of worms that just leads to the worst possible outcome at the worst possible time. Mm -hmm. And I get it. From a lawyer point of view, I get why they think it that way. So there's your answer. It did come up. And they were like, no, once it's offside, it's offside. And that feeling carried the day. 
You know what I always thought would happen, Elliot? Because we always should consider the law of unintended consequences when there's any type of new rule, even if it's just the massaging of a rule. You know what I thought this would really lead to? And maybe it will one day, but it hasn't so far. What's that? <sighs> I hate to say it, but here we go. Video review on dump-ins. So right now, it's kind of like if you're close enough to center ice when you dump the puck in, we won't call it icing. But what's the difference? Like if you shoot the puck into the zone from behind the red line, it should be icing, but it's not always called. It's like the officials have this idea that if it's close enough, generally it's fine. But if it leads to a goal, I know there hasn't been the Matt DeShane moment for it, and that's what led to the offside challenge. I thought from day one, Elliot, that that's where this was going to lead. Video review on dump-ins from behind center. Do you think we ever get there, or does that thought terrify you as we slow the game down even more? It doesn't terrify <laughs> me. It's just like, who else thinks of this stuff? Um, you know what? I, I bet you somebody probably did. I would imagine someone in the NHL at one of these meetings must have brought it up and got screamed down and said, look, don't ever bring that up again. It's bad enough we're doing this with the offsides. Let's not do it for icings as well. Great question, by the way, Ryan. All right. That's the end of the podcast. And thanks to our families for taking part this week. That was a really nice touch. And Amal, thanks for putting together 300 tasty episodes. Yeah, thanks, Amal. You, uh, you do amazing work. Nothing I've ever done has ever been confused or called art until this podcast. So thank you, uh, Amal. Much appreciated. Taking Us Out is a Brooklyn-based band who played music for other artists until they decided to create their own tunes. Homer Steinweiss, Paul Spring, and Joe Harrison make up Holy Hive. That's a group that doesn't shy away from creating a sound that's sort of a folk soul overlaying both genres while working with Homer's thickly pocketed drumming, Joe on bass, and Paul's calming vocals. From their sophomore album, here's Holy Hive with Runaways on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. He stepped.